I tend to like get really excited about the passion that comes with connection, but I have a really hard time with like the commitment that comes with intimacy. And so I think I learned how to make deep connections really quickly, but I never learned how to like sustain those. And I think right now I'm learning that part of intimacy. Welcome back. You are listening to Let It Out with me, your host, Katie Dalebout. Today on the podcast, Lore Gessif. She is one of my favorite writers. She explores topics related to intimacy and identity and interconnection, which are all topics that I'm fascinated by and constantly reflecting on and talking about with my friends and on this podcast. And Lore reached out to me a couple of months ago to actually interview me for The Creative Independent. And that interview came out last week, which we'll link to. And, and we mentioned this in this conversation, but basically we spoke for over two hours and she asked me a lot of questions. And now this is my turn getting to have a conversation with her, which spawns across so many different topics. We talk about social media and connection and dating. We really get into dating and dating right now and and what it's brought up for us. We talk about indecision and intention and writing. She's such a tremendous writer and thinker. She has written for Modern Love, The New York Times. She's written for Man Repeller. And we talk about some of these essays and poems that she wrote that really had an impact on me. We explore an array of topics in this, from moving to New York in the midst of a pandemic to her background and upbringing and magnetism and really high highs and the lows that come after really high highs and managing that. We talk about writing and routines and being hopeless romantics and feeling feelings and crushes. And it's just one of my favorite conversations that I've had in a while. I just recorded it this week. She's in New York. I'm here in LA and I could have talked to her for two more hours. We already have a conversation on the calendar to um, continue talking actually. So enjoy my episode with Lore right now. And I would say follow her everywhere but read her work and sign up for her newsletter. She is not on social media, which we will also discuss momentarily, but I'm so happy you're here. If you want to support this podcast, the best way to do it is share it with a friend and sign up for the Let It Out letter if you want the show notes to come right to you and a little essay from me. Thank you to everyone who read last week's episode and sent me a really nice note about it. I was really nervous to put that out and I'm happy that I did. We also wrote a new zine about creativity. So it's called The Creative Combination. If you would like to get that, the link will be in the show notes. Again, I'm really happy that you're here and please support the sponsors. I I only pick sponsors that I genuinely really love and so you will hear an interruption in this episode from our sponsors who make it possible. 
The organization that we are supporting this week, and I would love if you would check out and support in whatever way you can this week along with me, is the Central Ohio Freedom Fund. My friend Simi sent me this tremendous organization. It is a Black-led, Black-centered organization which exists to work toward elimination of cash bail, and it serves communities in Central Ohio by using a revolving fund for bailouts, providing public education, and advocating for radical systematic transformations which create conditions for a sustainable future. So the link to support them and their mission will be in the show notes. Enjoy this conversation and I'll check in with you at the end. Thank you so much for being here and doing this. I'm so excited to talk to you, Lore, again for another couple hours when you (laughs) interviewed me for the creative independent we really connected and i just enjoyed i really felt like we had a nice conversation and and i learned so much from you and i said to you like halfway through that pretty instantly (laughs) that i wanted to be able to do what you were doing to me to you and interview (laughs) you and get to know you more so here we are thanks for doing this of course. Thank you. Yeah, that conversation was so cool. So I'm glad we get to have like a part two or part three. Me too. Of. Me too. Yeah. And and I know, yeah, we had to do that in two parts. We did it once and then yeah. both had to go and had to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it's funny. I think that I we haven't gotten to debrief on that. That interview came out last week and I it was really nice. It, it, I had a lot of full circle moments with it because... I got messages from a couple of people in my life who I hadn't spoken to in a long time Mm -hmm. who must have subscribed to the Creative Independent and sent me really nice notes about it. Like, wow, it was such a surprise to see you in there. Yeah. So that was really cool. And and then I saw the the person that's like, go to the next one or the one before you. And it was I really love the band Big Thief and Oh yeah. Huck. Did you do that interview? No, I didn't do that interview, but that was a really good one. But it was right before mine. And I was like, oh my God, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, that was really cool. <laughs> so I was like, wow, that's really so anyway, thank you for having me there and um and including me. And and I think the conversation we had, especially around money, um really resonated with people. I got a lot of messages about yeah, it. And, cool. Yeah, you're off of social media, which we'll which we'll discuss. But I, I shared it on social media, and I and you didn't see this because you're not there. But I thanked you, and I, I would have tagged you. But yeah. but I had this like I was like, thank you so much for for taking the time to to interview me and and, oh, and sharing the the talk that that we did, especially on being a freelancer and making money. And and I think that's a topic that I'm really open about, and I think that really in that particular interview really landed with people who read it. Mm, yeah, I'm glad. Money, like, uh, with freelancing, it can be so mysterious. Obviously, we already talked about this, but it can be so mysterious. So I'm really glad that people resonate with that. And yeah. maybe it will, like, get more people to be more transparent like you are. Yeah, and and I think, yeah, just just knowing helps, is which is what I said yeah. in, that, in that interview. Like, and and I had to, for people listening, you know this, I, I was so open with you because you created such a comfortable, safe space that I did have to email you when you when you were so kind to show me the interview before. And I was really, I said this there and I, 
I will say it here because I don't, I don't feel as worried about this, but someone told me a specific, they were trying to do a project very similar to what I'm trying to do. And they told me a very specific number of something that money that was given to them and me just knowing that really helped, that really helped me to manage my own expectations. Mm -hmm. And I told you like the very specific story and we had them there that I was like, no, maybe we should take it out. But I feel like just like my point with telling that story, which I think it really did like, communicate through the way you wrote the interview was that that completely changed my perspective on doing a project or not and and me not being able to do it because I just needed to know that information. Mm, yeah. So it's... Um, and then I, I know other people like... Right. I had Kayleen Schaefer on the podcast a couple of weeks ago and and she wrote this book called But You're Still So Young about your 30s. And in that she shares... It's interviews with eight people oh, cool. in their 30s, awesome. but she also shares her own story that she weaves through it. And she shares that her parents helped her to buy a condo and she was really um, by her apartment in New York. And she was really nervous about sharing that, but it became this really Mm. interesting conversation about generational wealth and about, um, you know, the class system that we live in. And, And it was really, it created a really good dialogue. So I think being honest about this stuff is, can be, shameful and, and worrisome and embarrassing, but yeah, I think is is actually progress. Yeah, I completely agree. Like, and you know, there's nothing, there's totally nothing wrong with like using the resources that are available to you. Right. And so I think it's really cool that she like shed light on that and like also helped it. I'm sure it helped a lot of people who don't have the same resources as her, like realize like, Oh, okay. Like this person had these resources I don't have the same ones, but like this can still be inspiring, even though it is like a different situation. So that is really cool. Yeah. I said that to her in the in the interview, she mentioned it. And I was like, oh, that's so funny. Cause when I interviewed her when her first book came out, I came to her apartment in New York because I was living there. And I remember looking at her and being like, Oh my God, she owns this place. And mm. I'm never gonna be able to do that when I'm 30, mm. you know? And yeah. it's like turns out like, oh yeah, I, I won't, but like not for the reason I thought, you know? Right. And yeah. um and it's good to know that, you know, I think yeah. it's, it's really helpful. It's very so, freeing. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So remind me where you grew up and what you were like as a kid. Oh yeah. That's a great question. Um, okay. So I was born in Philadelphia, but I didn't live there. I was only born there. My family is originally, my parents are originally from Nigeria and then they lived in England for a while, like, I don't know, in like maybe like 10, 15 years. And during that period of time, my mom was pregnant with me and realized that she wanted to like, she wanted me to have citizenship in America, just in case I wanted to come to school here. There's a, there's like a title for that. It's called um, Anchor Baby, I think. So basically I was an anchor baby. So she like was living in England, had me in Philly so that I could have citizenship. And then went back to England, <laughs> like wow. literally a month, a month later. Yeah. And then eventually my whole family moved here. And then um, we like basically moved around Texas, like the Dallas area mostly. Uh, so I grew up in Texas. Yeah. <laughs> what do your parents do that they could move around and what led them to Texas? Yeah. So my mom is a nurse. Um, I actually haven't talked to my dad in a long time. So who knows like what he does, (laughs) 
but um yeah my mom's a nurse and so she would just like I think basically they were kind of just like looking for the best like you know most affordable place to raise children that had like good good schooling and you know good neighborhood all that stuff um kind of like sort of stereotypical like immigrant journey and just trying to find good roots for their children good opportunities for their children yeah so we basically like moved to different suburbs like in the Dallas area yeah and then I like went to college there and eventually moved to Austin after college and then I moved here during the pandemic so um yeah that's kind of how I ended up here so and here is New York yeah which here we'll, is New York. We'll, which we'll get to but I so you mentioned you have two brothers are you the middle child yeah I actually have three brothers oh wow um, yeah, yeah. I'm the middle child. I'm the only girl. Yeah, I'm the second born only girl. Um, I, I have one older brother and then yeah, two younger brothers. Are you close with them? Yeah, I mean, I used to be really close to my older brother, but I think ever since I moved to New York and like because of the pandemic, I feel like somehow we're like talking less. Also because he's like, he's like made some new friends recently and is kind of doing his own thing. And then my little brothers are like teenagers and just like want to hang out with their friends, you know? Yeah. So we like talk every now and then, but we're not like super duper close. So tell us about moving to New York in the midst of a pandemic. How did you make that choice? When did you make that choice? What was it like? Where are you? Why New York? <laughs> yeah. I definitely, um, I was, every time someone asks me, I'm always like, yeah, it's really so cliche. I just was like, oh, I'm going to be a writer. I moved to New York. Um, but yeah, as much as like the pandemic has been really, um, obviously like really traumatic and like hard, it also like led to some kind of strange serendipitous opportunities for me, I guess. So basically I, was working at Bumble for a while. Didn't really like that job. I was working in customer service and like, you know, was just like looking for a way out. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to write a bunch and hopefully I can like build up my portfolio enough and find a writing job probably in New York because that's what all of them are. I was living in Austin at the time. I was like, okay, hopefully I can, um, you know, get a portfolio and like find a writing job in New York and get the heck out of Bumble. So that was really my main priority. I just like, didn't really like my job and wanted to do something else, right? So I'm writing a lot, I was freelancing. This is last summer, like around this time last year, actually, like April, May, June. It's crazy. <laughs> wow, like to look back and see how much has changed. But yeah, so I started writing a lot and just started like getting some luck with publishing. And so I published a couple of articles and was like, oh, wow, okay, like things are really kind of taking off for me. <laughs> whatever that means and around the same time uh, a friend of mine who I met in college was living at New York at the time and I was living in Austin and she kind of got stuck in Austin for the beginning of the pandemic so we hung out and she's telling me how she really wanted to move back to Texas uh, that she wasn't enjoying New York very much and I was like oh well I'm maybe thinking about moving to New York because I need a writing job and I think before we talked when we talked, I hadn't like published as much as I eventually was able to in the later part of the summer. So I was kind of just like, you know, banking on faith really. But I was like, yeah, like maybe I could take over your, your apartment and you could like either take over mine or move, just like move in with your mom or whatever. 
And she was like, okay, yeah, that'd be great. So that was the plan. So I was going to move to New York. And after I found a job, like probably in October or September, or no, 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 I was going to move to, I was going to move to New York in June or July or August or something. And she was going to move to Austin. And then like probably a week or two later, she was like, actually, I don't want to move to New York anymore. (laughs) But at this time, like I'd already told my landlord that I wasn't going to stand my lease. I'd already like started like, you know, packing and like she didn't want to leave New York anymore yeah yeah she decided she didn't want to leave New York anymore so yeah I was like okay well I've already kind of decided that I want to move to New York so I'm just gonna find so that was just a catalyst and never ended up being the thing (laughs) yeah exactly exactly so I ended up just like finding an apartment I found a really nice apartment in Harlem with a really great roommate and moved in at the end of July and by the time I moved I like was able to like get all these like really cool writing opportunities so it kind of like all kind of like fell in place I was never able to get a writing job but I did find some other really cool things that I wasn't really expecting which is you know always how it goes right what was exactly I think it just shows so much magnetism that you had of like you she was this showed you what you really wanted by you committing to yeah that situation that didn't even pan out but then it gave you the faith to be able to be like oh okay i or the clarity to be like i want this so then therefore i'm going to i can just do it myself i'll find an apartment i'll do it and then at the same time you published so much (laughs) and had all of this success writing very quickly and you're very young and i think that's so cool and just congratulations and i'm so happy that that it worked out that way so what are some of those other things you said you didn't get a writing job but you did get some other things and i think you're exactly right like the thing that you're clenching for and grasping towards or in my experience that where i'm a little bit too attached i don't end up getting manifesting or like actually obtaining but the things I'm like more cool about. I'm like, Oh yeah, I think it'll happen. I'm not really concerned that happens without really trying. So was that the case for you? Yeah. Yeah. I like always get so nervous when I talk about like the stuff that I publish. It makes me so nervous, but um, I think it's imposter syndrome and like me not wanting to sound a certain way, but yeah. um, Sorry. No, you're great. (laughs) like it's like so hard for me to talk about this I had a job interview and they were like so tell us about your writing and I literally was like what are you talking about I'm <laughs> oh my god you're an amazing writer I have I mean we're gonna get to it I have copious notes I'm gonna read some of it to you so just oh, stay seated and just get cozy because I'm gonna be praising you for about an hour <laughs> oh gosh okay I will say though also on top of the writing stuff not uh, this is kind of me like feeling nervous and curbing but on top of writing stuff I also will say that I also met someone uh, my current boyfriend who's now washing my dishes which is cool <laughs> um but yeah around the same time that I was like okay I want to get out of this job and write and all this stuff I met my now boyfriend online on Instagram actually and oh. yeah, we were like talking around the same time so you know I mean the real reason I moved to New York is for writing but then like also, he was living, he grew up in New York and lives here. So obviously he was like a nice little, you know, plus two. So I kind of like moved here for writing and for love, which is like the most cliche. Like, <laughs> Are we oh. in an audio version of a romantic comedy <laughs> from the early 2000s? Um, 
God, maybe. I don't know. It's kind of cringy, but here we are. I love it. I love it. I mean, I think we talked about, I mean, there were so many things that I feel like I shared with you when, when we did the interview that I was like, so giddy about, I was like, oh, you can't publish this and you can't say this, but like, let me tell you about this. And, yeah. um, and I think, and then also about writing too. I don't even know if you remember, but we like really had like yeah. such a nice debrief about that, that, that felt really cozy, but I think there is something to say to pick up on in your story of, of how you were really magnetic during that time and still are, but so much was happening so quickly of like, you met your boyfriend, you published these really big pieces. You moved to New York, a city that you wanted to be in and it all, all works out and, and still is. So with that, wait, tell me more about how you met your boyfriend on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I guess before I talk about him, I feel like it's important to talk about like what was happening before him. So, cause I guess that goes into like, the modern love story, I guess. Great. So basically before I started dating my boyfriend, I, you know, like a lot of writers, definitely a big hopeless romantic, <laughs> definitely very dreamy. Um, oh very, God, like, we're the worst. We're the yeah, best. Right? We're the worst. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But yeah, I definitely, you know, have had so many crushes that like just lots of unrequited crushes, which I think you know, everyone goes through, but definitely like as a black woman, dating for me was always really like discouraging. I was really tough, always made me just feel like a complete piece of shit. I actually grew up Christian too. So, and like was Christian up until college. So not only was I kind of dealing with the difficulties that come with like dating as a black woman, but I was also dealing with the difficulties of like dating in a very like rigid church culture so yeah I just had a lot of negative or like just like discouraging experiences with dating and then you know in Austin it was kind of the same thing I was so either it was like boys didn't like me or like I was having to do all the work and eventually they'd be like okay like you're interesting but then it felt like I was still like begging for people's attention you know Mm, yeah um for a really long time so before I met Michael, who's the person I'm dating now, um, I kind of like told myself like, okay, like I'm done chasing people. Like I'm done. Obviously this is not like a gendered thing. Like I think it's totally cool for women, to, like in hetero relationships for women to like, you know, pursue men and like go after men. Like that's totally cool. But I think in my situation, it was a lot of me just like begging people to see me and begging people to see my words. And so I kind of told myself, like, okay, I'm done doing that. I'm done, like, begging people to go on dates with me and begging people to give me the time of day and, like, all this stuff. I'm done, like, not valuing myself by, like, dating people who, like, weren't willing to value me, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So that I kind of, like, made that pact to myself. And I was like, the next time I, like, date someone, whether that's, like, going on dates or, like, you know, dating someone more seriously or whatever, I'm going to... I'm like not going to do the work in the beginning. Like that person's going to do the work for me again, not in like a gendered way, but just like in a like I've like been through a lot, and I just want the next person I date to like show me the same interest that I know I would show them. Yeah. And then I met Michael, and he like totally was like everything and more of like being reciprocal and like loving and supportive and like not trying to like not having this like gross masculine like savior complex thing he's like 
Wonderful. So yeah, he just like slid into my DMs and we start talking and video messaging. And wow. and then, like, yeah. So he came out of nowhere. How did he slip into your DMs? This is also a funny story too. Basically. I hope it's okay that I'm, this isn't too intrusive oh, that I'm asking. No. It's totally fine. I'm just so Basically, curious because it's such a great uh, story. And it, it really like my, my friend Lacey Phillips talks a lot about magnetism and energetics and it just shows how you like step she talks about self-worth and stepping when you step into your self-worth and and you are your authentic self it, she mm-hmm. says that you're kind of like a moth to a flame energetically and things come mm-hmm. to you and it just seems like that has really happened with you and it's so intriguing to me oh that's and it makes me so happy yeah but it also shows that like you did a lot of work on yourself and it hasn't been easy and you've had so many challenges like you shared that you know I can't even imagine and and also just like understand the feelings that have yeah I'm just really happy that that all of this goodness has, oh, has come to you and it and it's not just like has come to you like you've worked really fucking hard and you have so much talent and you have mm-hmm. so much worthiness and you have so much to offer Michael and the world through your writing and I'm just so happy that that has been reflected on the outside mm-hmm. That's so nice. <laughs> yeah no it's, it's like- so true I think we both find dating and meeting people in this in in these times. My friend Savannah said that in a text to someone she had a crush on recently. She was like, "How does this sound?" And it was like, "Blah blah blah. blah. Do you want to go to walk something in these yeah. times?" And I was like, "Take out in these times." Like, kind of joking about it, but like yeah. I then now keep saying it. It's kind of the new like it's a journey, like something that makes you cringe. Yeah. Maybe, like kind of yes. works, you know. And yeah. so now every time I say in these times, I think of that, but. But I really am curious about dating now and and meeting people. And so I'm curious how he found your DM. Yeah, yeah. So basically, okay, so Michael, it's kind of a crazy story. All of this is like, as I reflect on it, I'm like, wow, what is my life? So basically, Michael lived in Spain for a year. And he met, while he was in Spain, he met a friend who I don't know, I've never met, but she is like the former roommate of one of my close friends. So Michael's friend and I, who he met in Spain, we've never met. And uh, up until Michael and I started dating, he had never met my friend, Isabel. But I was following this like, not mutual friend, but this like, I guess mutual person that we knew, mutual connection. I was following her on Instagram and she started this quarantine like dance party page. And was inviting people to submit videos um, of themselves dancing in the room. This is like early pandemic, like March, like 13th, 15th or something. So I submit a video, gets posted. I notice a couple people have followed me. Um, and then there's, you know, this like cute guy from New York. And I was like, oh, he's cute. And I'm like, I think he probably thinks I'm cute. Cause like he liked this video of me dancing and then followed me. And so I follow him back. I'm like, like one of his selfies, like, you know, as we do, mo- as we do. That, that's the like, let me like one of your photos and follow you back. And like, you know, yeah, it's like how you show someone that you're interested in them yeah. online. So, and then he like liked a selfie and I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to wait. Like I'm not DMing in, you know, in like college, I would have DM'd him again. Nothing wrong with that. But for me, I was like, I am not, someone's interested in me. They will show me. <laughs> 
So I was like, okay, I'm going to wait for him to message me. And then like a month later he did. So yeah. Wow. And then here you are in New York and, and he's bringing yeah. you tea. <laughs> New York and he's bringing me tea. Yeah. It's kind of wild. Wow. I love that. That is inspiring. And really, <laughs> I really liked hearing that today. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, um, of course. It's really interesting. I'm thinking about what you said. What, how did you say it? The, I'll know if they're interested. Yeah. They'll come like, to me. Yeah. I'll, if they're interested, they'll come to me. And like, again, I've never dated anyone but like cis men. So, you know, I'm sure it's really different for queer people. But with, like, if you were dating, uh, like, if you were a cis woman, straight woman dating like a straight cis man, like, man, is it a journey? Like, these boys, they're so, like, they can be so, like, play games and not be so straightforward and that's was a lot of like what I experienced um with dating or just like you know people straight up not being interested in me or kind of friends knowing me um I had like dated someone before Michael but it was just sort of like this guy wasn't interested in like really giving me his time you know so and I just was like fed up with that and I was like okay if I'm gonna date like the next guy I date it's just going to have to show me that he's willing to put in the effort that I know I, I want to give someone if they're like there and present. Yeah. Again, this is like cis hetero like relationship. I'm sure it's a little different for queer people, but yeah. Yeah. Again, with the cis and hetero experience and, and my very privileged, I come from the, the, body that I'm in and, and you and yours and us like talking about this from only our own perspectives but my experience as as you were talking you know I think it's really common to like that's why I love talking about dating and love and relationships and sex because even though we come from different perspectives I think I can see myself in relationships that i and bodies of with people that I've never been in. But I think there's a, there's a level of connection that can, I was just talking about this with someone this morning, actually, because I I haven't talked about this really on the podcast, but I, when I moved to LA, I didn't have, I I didn't mean to move here as you know, and I Mm -hmm. just kind of ended up here early pandemic. And I, I knew like one person here really. And Mm -hmm over a year later, I was reflecting this morning because it's about to be my birthday and I'm going to be a year Mm -hmm. older, obviously. And I feel like my life is entirely different. And I have this Mm -hmm. whole new group of friends and I feel incredibly close at them, but they're new. Like a year ago right now, we were not close or it was like very new. And, And one of the reasons I think we got close so quickly or like I was able to be intimate and vulnerable with them was because I had this relationship um, or it was not a relationship at all, but this, this, it was, uh, exactly like you were talking about, uh, yeah. feeling like I really liked someone who didn't like me back and yeah. me talking of, it was all I wanted to talk about, you know, <laughs> you feel like yeah. have a crush and it's like, it's all I could, I was so consumed with it. Yeah. And it, I think me vulnerably sharing about that with, with my friends and their, reactions back to me and and then them sharing about an experience they had that was similar instantly bonded us in a way that like I feel like that's why that happened at that time mm. and I learned so much from it and there was like a lot of pain to it but also like really nice moments to it and 
one of the things is like, I think talking about this stuff like we're doing right now is it's interesting and it's fun. It's why there's like, you know, so many romantic movies and, and content and, and TV and books and, and why, you know, we, in this family with you and I, we love, um, modern love and we love reading about these stories from all different perspectives, but because I think it, there, there's a humanity to it. And then the other thing I was reflecting on about that non-relationship relationship was it was such an example of, I, I heard this in a, in a meeting recently where someone said, I'm always wanting to sit with people who don't want to sit with me. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I've spent my whole life wanting, trying to sit with people who don't want to sit with me. And, and, mm-hmm. you know, what you having crushes on people who didn't like me back and, and mm-hmm. as a child and then doing it as an adult. And, yeah. you know, and I think that this ambiguity yeah. of, a lot of, I, I think, I, I hope it's okay to generalize, but again, it's just my experience. Like, I think there is some ambiguity with, or in my experience with cis men and hetero relationships of like, they give you an inch and I want it to be a mile or like yeah. they're giving me crumbs and I'm trying to make a meal of the crumbs, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I yeah. think that comes from low self-worth. And I think what you did or what I'm gathering and this might be projection. And I think part of this might be my own experience, but it sounds like what you did with this and what you have with, with Michael is that you were like, I'm not going to accept crumbs anymore. I'm going to wait for a goddamn entree. And you got (laughs) one with Michael. And I think I found that so inspiring. And, and I really, I really liked hearing that. I'm, I'm really happy that that happened. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's like, um, it's nice to like hear that. Cause yeah, I like, you know, it's so easy to forget like, like the past and like what I was experiencing before. Like you get, like, sometimes I can get so caught up in the present and like not being content with what I have, like romantically or in terms of writing or the apartment I have or whatever. Like it just, that's like kind of my biggest thing I'm trying to work on right now is like being more content. So anyway, it's always I think a big thing about that comes with contentment is like having to remember what you have and having to remember like where you've come. And so I appreciate like saying that. Yeah. It's sometimes good to have it be reflected. I mean, it's so cliche to have it be about gratitude, but like it's kind of about gratitude, you know, I, as you were talking, I was thinking of that Cheryl Crow song where she's like, it's not having what you Yeah, exactly. Literally, exactly. <laughs> I know. In the words of Cheryl Crow. Um, <laughs> so I love talking about this and I want to talk about love more. You sent some really great topics that I want to get into. Yeah. And I had such a great day today spending some time with your writing. And I would uh-huh. love to talk about that first. So yeah, sure. Let's do it. You mentioned this piece you wrote for the New York Times for Modern Love This that came out this summer called... <laughs> yeah trying to feel love worthy while working for a dating app. And you mentioned it was Bumble. So first of all, congratulations on publishing in the New York times and in modern love. That's such an honor. And the essay is so, so wonderful. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. So you say in the essay, as fascinating as it may sound, working in customer service for a dating app tends to be repetitive and mundane. You go on to say, 
These exchanges bring a sense of humanity that changes the pace and reminds me of my job's potential impact. Amid all the anger and callousness is tenderness, is the tenderness of romantic yearning, the universal desire to be loved. Could you tell a little bit more about this essay? Because at the end, you don't talk about your ending of finding your boyfriend like you just shared here. So I would yeah. love to to hear about where you were when you were writing this essay and 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 give us a bit more context about it. Yeah, yeah. So I also want to like plug. I took so before I like got the essay published, I actually took a class through Catapult with uh Jess. I think you know her. She's been on the yes! show before. Yeah. She has been on this podcast. I also took that class and have <laughs> yes. written and as you know, have written and submitted yeah. several stories to Modern Love myself that I um yeah. that class is so wonderful and I yeah. love Jess <laughs> and it makes but- you want to write for modern love very badly after being in that class. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. I feel like it's really important for me to like say that, especially since she's been on this podcast before. It's like, yes. And we'll link uh, to her class that people should definitely take. Yes, definitely. If they but, have um, the same desire. Yes, of course. Um, and even if you like don't necessarily desire to like be in modern love, like be a writer, I feel like it's like a great class to just like, um, for just like learning how to like tell your story or how to reflect. Or, you know. Totally. And and Jess worked with me on my my essays, which like, you know, are about these things I'm I ambiguously talk about in the podcast. The the yeah. are in these essays that have never been published. But in writing them, I, I remember talking to Jess about this and it was so healing. Just the process mm-hmm. of of writing about it felt so cathartic and I learned so much about myself through that process of, of mm. one, one of them was about having an eating disorder in a relationship. And, mm. and she, she said to me in, in the class, she was like, this is not going to be the, this was not the first person relationship that was affected by this. And it's not going to be the last. And I looked at her and I was like, yeah, it's going to be the last. It's going to be the last. I learned that through this, through writing this. And so, you know, there's yeah. some really big shifts that can happen through, through writing that, you know, closing the loop of publishing it. I do think is part of it, but even if that doesn't happen, like the the progress of taking those classes and for me has been so tremendous. Yeah, definitely. I can only imagine. Yeah, definitely. So anyway, tell us about, tell us more about this essay. So you were in Jess's class during the pandemic online? Yeah. Yeah. So I was in Jess's class um, online during the pandemic. Again, like really was just trying to, I mean, ever since I started working at Bumble, like for my first day there, I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm definitely going to write about this one day. Even if it's just like in my journal or like, you know, for like, just for like close friends, like this is such an interesting yeah. like experience, you know? Um, but as I was like working there, I worked there for about a year. Um, yeah. A little over a year. So as I was working there, I was just like, every time I interact with someone, I was like, wow. And, you know, at the time when I was working at Bumble, I was single too. And I was like trying to date. I was using the app and just like trying to find love as well. So I just always felt this like deep connection to the people that I was like, you know, trying to help either in like small ways, like just helping them get a refund or in big ways, like giving them advice for their dating app profile. And yeah, I just like, felt a really deep connection and even though I didn't like the job was really draining and was really boring and mundane I knew that it'd be a 
really interesting thing to write about. And I was like, I feel like this could be a cool modern love story. And even if it's, even if it's like not accepted, like I'll just have it for myself and I'll just have like, you know, this essay to put in my portfolio or like this essay to reflect on or like show friends or whatever. And like, I have a poetry background. So I like poetry is like my first love in terms of writing. And I always like had an interest in writing essays, but I just like had so much anxiety about writing, like writing long pieces, you know? And so really like just this class really helped me just like get out of my own head and like get out my pen, get out my laptop, you know, and just like write. I like, and I feel like as soon as like she kind of, there were several emails where she was like, just keep going, like stop getting in your head, just like keep writing the damn essay. (laughs) So yeah, so that was like really lovely. And then I didn't even finish the essay in her class. I think I actually like still hadn't finished it because I was just so anxious, but uh, there was a deadline for Modern Love. And I was like, okay, like I, if I do not finish Because this... they closed their inbox for the summer, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. so I think this was like the big, like the, it was like the end of June or something. So I was like, okay, like this is my shot. If I don't do it now, I won't be able to do it until like September or October. So I like sat down one weekend and just like tried to finish it and like showed it to a friend who also really loved Modern Love, actually my neighbor at the time in Austin. And then I sent it in. (laughs) And then the rest is history. (laughs) How did it feel to get that email from Dan Jones? And what was that process of, of having, was that the first, like the biggest piece that you had written at the time? Yeah. Yeah. I think before that I'd only had like two other things published or something. So that was a really, that was like a really huge, actually the friend that I'm referring to, my friend Maya, who lives in Austin still, and she was my neighbor at the time. Um, we would always go for these walks like a couple times a week in the evening after work. And so we went for a walk and we were like modern, we'd, I think we'd like listen to modern love separately the podcast and then we'd like go on a walk and talk about it and um yeah it was really nice and so we were going on one of our walks and talking about it and then I and I was like yeah I think the the story that week or something I didn't really like so I was kind of critiquing it I was like yeah I really think the story was that good like whatever (laughs) like being my little pretentious self and then um I like you know go into my house I hadn't been checking my phone it was like one of those conversations where you're just like just with your friend vibing like you're not really thinking about anything else but like what's in front of you sort of thing and so I hadn't been checking my phone so I get home I'm about to take a shower and I check my phone and I see that someone has emailed me and at first it like didn't understand like I didn't even read the headline or like who sent it to me I think I just the email had said something like, oh, this is a really good essay, but I think it needs a little bit of work. And I was like, oh, someone's like critiquing one of my essays. Like, what the hell? Like, I thought it was like an essay that I just published or something. And some like man was like writing me to critique it, you know, that sort of thing. And then I like say that it's Dan Jones. And I was like, oh, fuck. Okay, oh this man can, he can critique me all day long. That's totally <laughs> fine. And then I like called Maya and I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah, so, it was this whole thing. That's amazing. Well, congratulations. I am so happy to hear that story. You told me that story when you were doing the interview with me. And I remember it because it just, it makes me so happy. Like that had to be such a thrill of a moment. And I, yeah. I love that so much. So what has the response been to it since it came out? And, and what has that been like for you? 
Yeah. So, oh man, it was such like a whirlwind. As I'm reflecting on this, I'm like, wow, like truly, like it's also interconnected. It's also like big and crazy. But at the time, like there was a lot going on. So this was like summer last year, right? So it's like pandemics going on, all the protests are going on. I was living in Austin and like I obviously was like quarantining with my roommate and then also like my neighbors. So the friend I was just referring to, she lived above me with two other uh, women that I'm friends with. And so we were all kind of like had our own little bubble and they were all white women, which I like love them dearly, of course. But it was hard to be like seeing all these terrible things going on in the news and then just like being surrounded by, you know, there's not that many black people in Austin. And then obviously during the pandemic, like I could only hang out with these women that were around me. So that was like a lot. And then I was also like publishing a lot, like more than I like to this day, like more than I have, like, I like, but like every week there's something coming out, not every week, but like, you know, more than I had in like ever to this day still. Um, so I was getting a lot published and then like, because I was getting a lot published and because of the things that were going on in the world, my like email and like social media was just always going off. Like lots of people emailing me, either telling me that they really resonated with like the story that I was, the stories that I was sharing, like Modern Love or some other articles that I wrote at the time, or, you know, people just reaching out and wanting to like show me support because of the protests that were going on or um, people like, you know, wanting writing advice or whatever. So I definitely remember being very, I feel like I definitely experienced like a little shot of success. And as much as it was really exciting and exhilarating, it's also extremely depressing. And I think like after I moved to New York, I went through a really dark like time. It's part of the reason why I got off social media. I went through this really dark time because I'd hit like the highest of high. And then like, you know, I moved to New York, started to be faced with the realities of living in New York. New York is a like a magical place, but it's also a really hard city to live in, especially if you like, you know, don't have a lot of money like me. And even outside of my own experience, there's so many beautiful things in New York, but there's also a lot of pain here and it's very evident. Obviously there's economic and racial inequality all over the country, but in New York, like those things are not hidden. Like you'll be walking in the Upper East Side, which is one of the wealthiest neighborhoods in New York. And you'll see someone who has like a Gucci like pencil or whatever. And then like across the street from them is someone who's like begging for money, you know? So I was kind of grappling with these like bigger social things around me in the city, but then also my own anxieties. And I was starting a new relationship and like it was the furthest I'd ever lived away from my family and my friends. And there was a pandemic going on. And again, like with writing, like I experienced all the success and I felt on top of the world. But then as soon as obviously, you know, the pendulum has to come to the other side. And so I was writing a lot and eventually those, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't able to secure as many gigs as I was during the summer. So last fall was definitely like, last fall and last winter was definitely really kind of like numbing experience. I feel like I've kind of like come back to center as like, as you, I know, like to say, but I definitely like had to go through this period of reevaluating like my values and reevaluating what it means to be successful and like why I want the attention of certain people. And this is something I'm still like figuring out and trying to understand about myself, but yeah, I don't know. Does this make sense? Sorry. Yeah, it makes so much sense. And you're articulating this beautifully and it's so honest and it's so vulnerable and it really speaks to your self-awareness and your character that you 
care to grow in this way and to what you said there about questioning why is it that I care about the attention of certain people and why is it that I, you know, really, I think we had a part of one of our conversations was about this too. And wow, it, it really is impressive to, to hear you speak about it in that way. And it, it actually, oh, yeah, it connects to something else in, in your essay, you talk about self-love and you write, but I know enough to realize that self-love for all its benefits can't kiss me on the forehead, can't cheek to cheek, can't heart eye stare in the middle of the room. And though I finally believe I'm worthy, I still sometimes doubt others will be able to reach beyond their social conditioning to believe I'm worthy too. And that was so beautifully written and makes me emotional to read. And I think is really interesting to you know, what I've sort of been pulling out of your stories thus far of like raising, you know, what my friend Lacey says, like is raising your self-worth to match what you want around you in your life. And Mm -hmm. it sounds like, you know, you are working on on doing that and then questioning why is it that I'm getting it? Like raising your self-worth and being like, oh, I really wanted to be in this and now I am. Mm -hmm. And now what, you know? And, And then I just... I I know from my life, like I want to certain things that I've wanted to get, I get them. And I'm like, Oh, this, or like, you know, there's the Jim Carrey quote yeah. of like, I wish everyone would get rich and famous so that, you know, and I think yeah. also what you say here, which is so beautiful is like the social conditioning to believe I am worthy too. Like there's so much that is uncontrollable and, and we live in this world where it's so complex, everything around us. And I think your, your essay spoke to to both of those pieces in a really beautiful, interesting way. So I'm curious, where are you with self-love and self-esteem and worthiness now after some really big successes? Yeah, thanks. That's such a thoughtful question, such a thoughtful response too. So thank you. You know, it's a journey, right? Like I'm definitely like, I guess... I don't know. I, I felt being in New York, like I was talking to a friend last week uh, who moved here like six months before I did. And we went to college together. She's in fashion, mm-hmm. which is like, I'm, you know, the writing industry is hard, but like fashion sounds like a kick in the ass. Right. Like I yeah. think everyone can probably agree to that. And she was telling me about a friend of hers who's also interested in moving here and pursuing like some sort of creative thing and that but that friend like feels that friend lives in texas and feels really insecure currently like where they are and i think they're interested in moving to new york as a way to like escape those current anxieties that they have and my friend was like that is not going to like new when you get to new york like it's not going to get any better like if anything it's going to get 10 times worse because in new york like there's on every corner there's someone who's like prettier than you there's someone smarter than you richer than you like has cooler clothes than you looks just like you like you know what I mean so mm-hmm. like I think being here I'm really like I'm I feel like I'm like truly right now in the fire like I'm I feel like I'm being refined and like I feel like I'm really having to I'm like actively learning what it means to have self-worth and what it means to believe in myself and be confident and like you asked me about my writing and I literally was like ah like I like started, you know, laughing out of like nervousness and anxiety because I just, I still, even despite like doing these things that I've always wanted to do and 
doing things that I am like really proud of when I like reflect on, I still feel this sort of like thing that tells me that I'm not enough. And so, and I've always like struggled with like low self-esteem. I've always like, I don't know, just always believed the voice in my head that tells me that I'm not pretty enough, not cool enough, not this, this, that, and that. But I think like being here and having the friends that I have now and like dating the person that I'm dating now and just going through all like the experiences that I've had is really like all of it comprehensively is teaching me to what it means to believe in myself and what it means to be grounded and who I am and who like the fuck I am too, you know, and like what I am being here, like in this stage of my life, I feel like I'm like being shown a mirror and I'm trying to accept that person and trying to like, every time I go out, it's like, I have to remember who I saw before I left. I had this, there's actually this guy that I had a crush on in college who didn't like me, but thank God we didn't date because that wouldn't have worked out. But um, he'd always tell me in this kind of teasing way that every time I went out, he'd always be like, remember who you are. And honestly, that's like kind of how I feel. Like, I feel like I'm in this place right now where I'm like constantly trying to remember who I am. And I'm trying to like ground myself in that because I can definitely be a very impressionable person. It's part of the reason why I got on social media too. Like, I'll look at someone else's clothes or someone else's career trajectory or someone else's partner or someone else's this, this and that. And like want to transform myself into that, into their life and into that person because I feel some sort of dissatisfaction with myself. And I'm really trying to like step away from that because, you know, I mean, I'm only me. <laughs> like I will, I will only be me for the rest of my life. And so I'm trying to really learn how to accept myself, but it's really hard. Like it's truly something that I struggle with every day or every other day. Um, mm. So I don't, yeah, I definitely am still in that. And again, like the whole writing thing, as much as it did bring me up and like uh, made me feel on top of the world. And when I think about it, it still does. But it also in, in this weird way, it like also gave me an intense amount of anxiety, um, an intense amount of like self-doubt and imposter syndrome. And, and it's always like kind of felt like, oh my God, like I, I'm only 24. Like sometimes I get nervous that I like, did all these things that I'd always wanted to do too early, mm. which is bullshit. Like there's no, there's no, I, I also don't, I think it's like, I think this, our culture has this tendency to like praise people who do things really young. And I, I think that's really toxic. I think it, because how can we expect someone in their early twenties or someone as a teenager to figure out themselves and like do all these cool things. I think that's like unfair and it doesn't give people time to grow and evolve and, People in their 30s are still young. People in their 40s are still young. But I feel like sometimes I'll get into this thing where I'm like, okay, I've done all these cool things now. Like, what am I going to do later? But I've been really trying to remind myself how much time I do have and how young I am and how that's not a scary thing. But that is a really beautiful thing. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Wow. There's so much I want to pick up on from, from what you said. Thank you for sharing all of that. And so honestly, I think, you know, God, it's, it's, it's all, everybody's, we all have our stuff, you know, like even like the, the highs are high and the lows are low. And, you know, I, I had, I feel like we, this is a really interesting conversation that we get to have because you met me through my work and then I had a really intimate two hour conversation with you where like I shared a lot. So I feel like you, you know me a bit and now I'm Mm -hmm. getting to know you and so I, I relate to a lot of what you're saying, but my 
and, and how that must feel, you know, I can, I can, I can empathize with it. And I think on my end, I'm over here in my thirties and I'm thinking like, okay, well, I'm never going to be a prodigy, you know, or like, I'm never going to be, I'm going to just be doing things at the normal time of doing them. And I, I had some, there's a lot of successes that I've been like wanting and working towards that. I just might never get And Mm. there are some that I might get. And there are some that like, I might need to acquire more skills or, or, Mm. or take more classes and keep trying for. And there's others that like, I might not, have a kid unless I want to do it on my own or, you know what I mean? Like there are things that like just might not happen. And, and also just accepting that and accepting like different timelines or accepting, like, even though my life is nothing that I expected, it's, it's really great. There are a lot of good things about it. And I, as you were speaking about the comparison with social media, I'm, I too am very malleable and very, and and New York was, was similar for me with, you know, just, seeing in LA is like that too, but I feel like it's, it's also been a pandemic the entire time I've lived here. So it, I think it yeah. compares differently in my mind to New York, but, <laughs> but, but just, you know, seeing so many people around me, I I've really been in this too, where I'm like, everyone around me is so talented and so skilled and working towards something where I feel like I am just behind and failing. And, you know, like, and it kind of can be in this like victim mentality low if I let myself, or I can like, come up for air and be like, all right, well, no, that you had some failures, you had some rejections, but you also have friends and you also have a home and you also have plants and you can also like keep trying. And that's the low, which like, I, I know the tools to turn to there, but I talked about this in Marley Grace's episode, but yeah. she talks about highs where it's like when, when you're in the lows, you kind of know the the tools to turn to, but when you, get too high or you're not too high, but when you're on a high of like your crush texts you back or, you know, in your case, you get published in the New York times and your crush DMs you on Instagram and you know, (laughs) whatever it is. But like, I can imagine that like I've gone through periods like that too, where it's like, I can even feel while I'm in it, like, Oh, this, I can feel that I'm up here and I know how a low is going to be and trying to take care of myself and my nervous system within the high is really hard. But also I said this to a friend, my friend in ceramics, she was, she's, she's a painter. And and she said to me, you know, I'm just in like a really good moment and I'm so scared that it's going to stop. And I said to her coming from someone and it happens to be in the low right now, just enjoy it and get Mm -hmm. as much as you can get done from up there because it isn't going to last, but you thinking about it not lasting is going to make you miss it while you're there. So, you know, there's really nothing you can do except just like try to coast and enjoy it and, and know that like everybody's timeline is so different. And like, it's so great that you had these successes so young and you'll have more successes and you'll have ups and downs. And, but I can imagine like that was a lot at once and a lot of change and a lot of high that, that had to be really intense. Yeah, it was, it was, Yeah, Um, it was so intense. This episode is brought to you by Jenny Kane. So every season I feel like I, figure out what to wear for that season and I kind of have my staples and and what I need and then the weather changes and suddenly 
I need to adjust to my spring style. <laughs> and Jenny Kane is the perfect way to do so. I am so grateful that this brand exists and they're partnering with us. It's really, really wonderful. They have these breezy basics that can be worn on a sunny day and also layered, which I really love. And Jenny Kane is really my most trusted source for everyday elevated essentials. And these are pieces that really go together and last. That's what's so great. They're investment pieces that will be with you for years to come. That's the way I feel about these products. So I have a pair of slippers from Jenny Kane that I have on my body right now. I'm constantly wearing when friends come over, I let them borrow them and they're incredible. I wear them all day long. They're my work shoe. They're the, my podcast recording shoe. They're my preferred shoe to be in at all time. You know, and that's the thing. They're not a shoe at all. They're a slipper, but they are luxury. I also got a pair of B-Sides denim that I was borrowing a pair for my friend Christine and I wanted to get my own. We share a closet. So I wanted to contribute to our shared closet, a pair of B-Sides denim and Jenny came has such curated pieces that I, I really love. If you want to try something from Jenny Kane, now is the time. They have these signature pieces that are really what they're known for. They have mules and leather and suede and shirling. And they're really classic. They're the classic shoe that started the brand. They're effortless and comfortable and really versatile. And they also have a fisherman and cocoon sweater that is is really great it's lightweight and really luxe and pairs well with everything and it can be you know like a work thing or a weekend thing and it layers really nicely so jenny kane believes that getting dressed should be one of the easiest parts of your routine and it's always been really challenging for me so these polished basics never go out of style and they make getting dressed a little bit easier so they curate these stylish staples that will really go with everything in your closet so maybe you already have a well-worn dress and you can pair it with something fresh from jenny kane I really love this brand. You can find your forever pieces at jennykane.com and get 15% off your first order when you use the code let it out at checkout. That's Jenny, J-E-N-N-I, Kane, K-A-Y-N-E.com, promo code let it out. Organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offers plant-based nutrition made with high quality ingredients. I love Organifi. Each Organifi blend is science-backed to craft the most effective doses with ingredients that are organic and free of fillers and contain less than three grams of sugar per serving, but they somehow taste delicious. I really, really love this stuff, you guys. Organifi's green juice has essential superfoods and a clinical dose of ashwagandha, which helps reduce stress and supports healthy cortisone levels. They also have Organifi Gold, which is a superfood tea that supports rest and relaxation so you can wake up feeling refreshed. I take that one at night. And they have this red juice that you take if you want to kind of recharge and have a blend that can keep you going with potent adaptogens, antioxidants, and a clinical dose of cordyceps, which produces energy with zero caffeine. 
lastly, they have one for immunity. And this one's really great. It's rich in vitamin C to bolster a healthy immune response. It's also one of my favorites. So each Organifi blend is easy to use by simply mixing it with your water or any favorite beverage while you're on the go. You can just pop it in. They don't compromise quality of your taste. That's what I really like about them. And they take pride in offering the best tasting superfood products on the market at a price that works out to less than $3 a day. It's so affordable. So browse Organifi at Organifi.com. Go to Organifi.com. Use the code Let It Out for 20% off all Organifi products. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com slash let it out. The show notes will have the link, but the code let it out gets you 20% off all Organifi products. Wow. Okay. I'm very psyched to talk about this new discovery in my life. I often don't have time or really I don't have the energy to think about what I have in the fridge and put something together and cook. And I end up just, you know, mushing something together pretty quickly. And I often don't feel satisfied. And then I'm just standing in the kitchen seeing what other snacks that I have, which is fine. But especially at the end of the day, when I come home tired and hungry, I just want something immediately. And Honestly, I feel that way throughout the day when I'm running around or doing errands or out on walks. I end up coming home and eating the quickest thing possible. And often that's the same sorts of things and it's not that satisfying or I end up getting takeout, which just makes me wish that I was actually eating at a restaurant. And then I found Daily Harvest. And honestly, I've heard about Daily Harvest for years. I thought it was cool, but I really didn't think it was something I needed until I tried it and found my entire week got better knowing that I had daily harvest on hand because it cleared space in my mind of having to figure out what to eat. I knew I had a satisfying, nourishing meal in my freezer, moments away from being ready at all times. It was really luxurious. And that's what I really love about it is that Daily Harvest is ready when you are. So everything stays fresh in the freezer until you're ready to eat it. So you waste less food. And I often, you know, if I go to the grocery store and do a big shop, I end up not really eating everything. Or even if I have takeout or leftovers in the fridge, they might go bad. But having everything in the freezer really, really works for me. So what even is Daily Harvest? Maybe you don't know. Let me explain. They deliver delicious food all built with organic fruits and vegetables right to your door. It literally takes minutes to prepare and it takes overthinking out of the meals for the week, or at least it has for me. I am holding in my hand a prop for this advertisement. (laughs) It is the Daily Harvest Salted Swirled Black Sesame Scoops. They have this ice cream that this is an empty container I'm holding because I finished it last night. Let me tell you, I have had some for breakfast. I have had some for lunch. I had the rest of it pretty late last night. It is coconut, maple, black sesame, cacao, ashwagandha, vanilla. It was maybe the best thing I've eaten in my life. So they make this ice cream now too that really, truly like made my week. I am really into this food. (laughs) They make these crisp flatbreads that you can have for lunch or dinner. I brought it over to a friend's house the other night. We popped it in the oven. It was so good. And they make food that can be warm for, you know, colder weather. They have these 
perfectly roasted harvest bowls and soups. And, you know, we've already covered the ice cream. So Daily Harvest never uses preservatives, added sugar, or artificial anything, including their recently launched almond milk, which is made of just almonds and a dash of sea salt. That's it. So it's really convenient. I'm always stocked up on whatever I need in the freezer because of Daily Harvest. They're also committed to minimizing their environmental impact. They're in the process of transitioning to 100% compostable, recyclable, plant-based, and renewable fiber packaging. Daily Harvest is really just so incredible. And I'm so grateful and excited that they are working with Let It Out. So if you've been wanting to support the show, try Daily Harvest. Trust me, it is incredible. Go to dailyharvest.com and enter the promo code Let It Out to get $25 off your first box. That's promo code Let It Out for $25 off of your first box at dailyharvest.com. Thank you so much, Daily Harvest. I love you. You wrote another essay that is called A Love Letter to My Mailman and the yeah. Incomparable Camaraderie Between Black Strangers. And in that, you wrote, at first, my relationship with him was an inside joke with friends. I tell them that the mailman delivering my body oil was the closest thing I had to physical intimacy. Can you talk about that essay? Because <laughs> it is so incredible and I'm going to link to it too, but I would love to hear more about it. Yeah, definitely. Um, so. Okay. Yeah. Around the time that I'm like trying to write more as a way to write, but also as a way to get a job, I think, no, even before that, I just like, when I lived in Austin, I had like this mailman who was, you know, really, I think everyone has like some sort of like crush on their mailman. Not even in a, not like romantic way, but just like, I think everyone has a mailman that they're like completely intrigued. Yeah. Yeah. They're just like, they're so friendly. I mean, they're bringing you your mail. Again, or just like acquaintances in general. Yeah. Like I have this running list in my phone of like essay ideas. And I think I wrote down one somewhat mid pandemic where I was like, acquaintances are a relationship that I'm really missing. Like mm. it's part of community to have yeah. familiar strangers. Yeah, exactly. That's And yeah. one comes to our house daily. Yeah, exactly. That's the perfect way to put it. A familiar stranger. It's exactly what it was. So again, like not someone I knew at all, but just like this friendly face that I saw that I recognized um, and would, you know, say hi to, have small talk with, walk past on my way to like wherever I was going um, in the mornings or in the afternoons. And um, and yeah, and the, during the pandemic, I feel like, or when the pandemic started, I feel like his presence had even more weight because he became one of the few people that I saw on a regular basis. Um, and then of course, when the protests and all like the shootings started happening, um, not that they, that was of, of course, our like country has like, unfortunately like a long history of shooting. So I don't want to make it seem like last year was the first time all those things happened, right. but when all those things were going on in the context of the pandemic, his presence, the fact that he was a black man, the fact that he, was so warm and kind was really meaningful to me but again like during the pandemic in the beginning of it before I met Michael like I was super single and even before like pandemic I was super single and so I you know would always make these jokes with my neighbors and my roommates that like I was in love with the mailman (laughs) and that 
he would like bring me my body oil or like perfume or like my clothes. And I was like, wow, he's like coming into contact with these like very intimate things in my life. You know, like I don't think anyone else really touches my body oil besides me and like the person that gives it to me and the person that made it, you know? And so I was kind of really aware of that. And at first it was just um, going to be like a, a general, like sort of like ode to the mailman sort of thing. And I, I think I even pitched it. I think I finished writing it or maybe almost finished writing it. I don't remember, I, but I, I definitely was like in the process of writing it. I was like, wow, this is like, I really like this. I like this idea. I'm going to pitch this idea to Man Repeller. And then uh, they never got back to me. And then I like finished it. The shootings were happening. All the protests were happening. And I was like, oh, wow. Like I'm actually thinking about this in a completely different way. Like more than just like this mailman that I'm like having this kind of silly crush on. Like this is a black man in my life who like the only black person I'm seeing on a regular basis right now. And so I kind of added that aspect to the essay and then I pitched it again same I kind of was like hey I'm back what's up to Mandra Peller because they were kind of another like publication that I had at the time really wanted to be published by and so I pitched it to them and it got picked up and I'm like still so grateful for that especially now that their RP like don't exist anymore like shut down but yeah that's kind of the story of the essay yeah it's so good and I'm gonna link to it and Uh, For them, you also wrote a beautiful poem on intimacy called Field Notes on Intimacy. And it's so wonderful. And everyone should read that as well. Thanks. And with with both of those pieces, I think intimacy is, is a theme. And it's something that I would love to talk to you about because it's something I've been discussing frequently with my friends lately. Mm -hmm. I... I always say this about intimacy of like, I both want it and crave it and fear it. Mm-hmm. And when I get it, freak out in equal measure. You know, it's like all I ever want, but then getting it is so, oh, not this. I have to be vulnerable and I have to share, yeah. you know, because I might be rejected. Oh God. Yeah. You know? So what are your thoughts on intimacy and where where are you with it now? Yeah. I used to in college say that I was an intimacy slut. <laughs> so like, I think that kind of sums it up, right? But yeah, I like, it's definitely changed for me or like my understanding of my relationship to intimacy has changed. But I think I used to believe that I loved intimacy, that I loved being close to people, that I loved like connecting. And, and I do, I, I love my close friends. I love my boyfriend. I love my family. I love meeting new people, like developing um, intimate relationships with strangers who eventually become friends, thinking about intimate things like my relationship to myself, my relationship to flowers. Like, you know, I love that type of shit. But I think the older I get and the more that I'm in these sort of like relationships that have more depth now, realizing that I think in the past, what I really liked was emotional hookups. I really liked the idea of like, you know, meeting someone in a spontaneous way or like making a friend in a really like thrilling way or meeting a crush in a really thrilling way and like having a really short term, like passionate connection, whether it's romantic or not. And eventually that like dying out and then me pursuing that with another thing or another person or another passion or another like project or whatever. I think I tend to like, get really excited about like passion that comes with connection, but I have a really hard time with like the commitment that comes with intimacy. 
And that's something that I'm definitely learning about in not only my romantic relationship with Michael, but like also just with like my friends who I'm still friends with, who I've known for a while. Growing up, I moved around a lot. So I didn't really have to like sustain long-term friendships because, you know, I moved and when you're eight, at the time I didn't have like Twitter or Facebook or whatever. So it wasn't like I could stay friends with the people I was moving away from. And so I think I learned how to make deep connections really quickly, but I never learned how to like sustain those. And I think right now I'm learning that part of intimacy, the part that requires devotion and, and true care, you know, like, can you really care for someone if you're only there for them when they like make you feel hot and heavy, you know, I think you can, but I think real deep care is like that when you're caring for them, when they, you know, they're annoying you or when there's nothing for them to give you. Like when it's not some sort of transactional thing. I actually wrote this article. I can, I can send it to you. We can link it. I wrote this article in the Atlantic yesterday about making friends who like have nothing to do with your like career or have nothing, basically making friends who like can't do anything for you besides Mm. like the, just like being your friend, like giving you companionship. Yeah. Um, which I think is a really big thing for like freelancers, creatives, artists, because so much of our world is like networking and making connections and like trying to meet people so we can get a certain job or do a certain project or whatever. But I think like this article kind of talked about how like it's really important to make friends who like are just there for you to laugh with and cry yeah. with, who can't give you some job or can't connect you to like some like big aspirational thing besides like the simplicity of of affection right yeah so that's like the the sort of intimacy that I feel like I'm learning how to dwell in right now and it's really kicking my ass but it's also like really so fulfilling it's again it's like earlier I said it's also big and interconnected for me right now because with writing I'm learning um and moving here you know I kind of I got like the big thrilling like successes and now I'm learning like the longer like like grunty like aspect of writing and I think I'm learning that with intimacy too like when I was younger in college I was just like you know pursuing like fun thrilling things and that weren't really long term or like with friendships not just romantic relationships and then like when I moved here like with Michael like you know I was super into him but I don't think I was really thinking about caring him in the way that our relationship required I think I was just thinking of myself and thinking of having this like big romantic like good story you know and now I'm really learning how to like cultivate a deep sort of love so yeah Yeah. (laughs) wow okay so many things I want to pick up on that's wild that you brought up that Wait, did you write the article for The Atlantic? Or you no, read no, 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 the article? No, no. I read, read it. <laughs> okay, well, that's why my reaction was like, because <gasps> I was like, did I not read a thing she wrote today? Because oh, no, I was no, really no, trying no. to prepare. Um, <laughs> but I want to read that. But that's funny because, you know, what I was saying earlier about like feeling really close with my group of friends that I met in LA, I, I think I had an aha moment as you were describing that. And, and part of it was, you know, maybe connecting over that experience that I had and that bonding us a bit. But, but also... Yeah. The, the friendships that I have here, and this is unlike how it's been in the past in other cities that I've lived in. We also, I, I also should say that we've all been through something together in terms of, you know, 2020 and 2021 yeah. so far. So I think that nothing will bond you like those years of 
a global pandemic. So I think yeah. that's maybe part of it of like, you know, we spent all the high holidays together and no one went home. And I think that's, that is part of it too. But also exactly that, you know, I, the, this group of friends that I'm in, my closest friend here is a, a butcher and mm-hmm. I can't help her in her industry at all. And <laughs> I, and she can't help me in mine. And mm-hmm. I have, you know, another friend works at a museum and another, you know, and I have other yeah. friends who have more similar careers that I do. But I think having that diversity in careers has made my friendships more. I had this feeling of like, they were feeling like I felt when I was in high school, like I was feeling that silliness. I was feeling that closeness. I was feeling that like, and when I was in New York and a lot of my friendships as adults, we either had similar connections or we met through work or we met through, you know, and they all felt like they were always new. And I remember Mm. saying to someone when I was in New York, I felt like I had a lot of acquaintances, but not very many friends Mm. and acquaintances are easy. You know, I'm great on a first date. I'm great talking, you know, like I kind of do talking for a living. I'm great at small talk, but intimacy and a fourth date and, Mm you know, a long-term friendship, I'm realizing through this that it's not for beginners, you know, it's, it's really something that I'm trying to get better at. And I'm trying to, I'm really seeing that in myself. So I'm I'm eager to to read that Atlantic article and and thank you for, for bringing that up and articulating that as you did, because what you were saying about intimacy hookups. I feel like that's that small talk. That's having a lot of acquaintances. That's like when I moved to New York, I was so trying to make friends that I was Mm -hmm. like, yes, I will get coffee with you. You listen to the podcast. Cool. Like I'm there, you know, and here it was like, I couldn't really meet up with anyone who wanted to get coffee and I couldn't really like put myself out there. I just had to kind of stay with who was around me and make make it work. And, and it worked splendid. I didn't really have to try hard. I I happened to be around such wonderful people, but what's interesting about that is that I think I heard this discussed in the podcast once of like, and this is, you know, empathy, right? It's like, if you can, they give this question of if you put two people who are so different from each other, whoever they were on a deserted Island together, and they, talked about their childhood and they talked about why they are the way they are. And they talked about their parents and what they like. We would fall in love with anyone, you know, if we Mm -hmm. really had it, unless you're a sociopath. Right. (laughs) And I believe that that's probably true. You know, like I think with enough awareness and patience, we're all not that different, you know? And I think if we can like take the time and be forced to see that, we can make it work. And I think I was, I was in living situations with people and I was in, neighbor situations and quarantine pods and, and, you know, feeling the heaviness of, you know, deaths of people we knew and mm-hmm. new babies born and people leaving and people coming in and, and relationships ending and beginning and having ups and downs within them and work being new jobs and old jobs. And, and I think just being there through that and here now in this with someone else creates intimacy if you can be there and not look away yeah that's so good <laughs> that's so good yeah definitely yeah. I can, nothing to add you just summed it all up <laughs> mm. 
Well, okay. So we've been chatting for a while and these are not the <laughs> rapid fire questions, but we might do them somewhat like rapid fire because these are the things that you sent me that you okay. wanted to chat about. And I'm really excited to get into all of them. So let's start with social media hiatus. You've mentioned it a couple of times. So I'm curious, it sounds like you've alluded to why you came to that decision, but give us a bit more specifics and what exactly it means to you. And if you think you'll, you'll return. Yeah. Um, so, okay. I mean, you know, everyone is addicted to their phones, like, or most people are, if not everyone. And I'm definitely one of those people. I mean, even though I'm not on social media, I'm still always on my phone. I mean, I'm using a computer right now, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. So I think I like had kind of come to that awareness a long time ago, but I, I, there's, it's like interesting. Cause I think with most sort of like unhealthy relationships and it and, and relationships to like food relationships to alcohol relationships to drugs or people or whatever like we encourage people to talk about them to address them right if you struggle with alcoholism like we encourage people to like get help and go to therapy and seek treatment and you know if you have an eating disorder same thing if you're codependent like we encourage people to like address that too right but then it's interesting to me, and I don't want to make this like a moral thing. It's just something I'm observing, but it's interesting yeah. to me that like with internet addiction and social media addiction, it's kind of like, and I did this too, like, it's kind of like this, like, ha ha ha, like, whatever, I'm addicted to my phone. <laughs> and you like go back on Instagram or whatever, right? And I started to like, feel really uncomfortable with that. I started to be like, okay, like, why am I not addressing this? Like, if I, if I'm willing to address like the codependency in my experience or like, having a bad relationship to my body. Like, why am I not addressing this like really unhealthy relationship that I've developed with my phone, specifically with social media. And so I started to think about that, especially like around the time that I was publishing a lot, like I was just getting more messages than I've ever, like to this day, still like more messages on any, all the platforms that I've ever gotten in my life, like so many at a time, so many emails, like so many friend requests, all the things, all the things. And it was really overwhelming. Like it was really exciting, exhilarating, but it was also like just making me truly so, it was like really like fucking with my self-esteem. And I used to be one of those people who wouldn't really pay attention to like likes or followers, but obviously once it started, once my social media started being connected to my work, it was really hard to not pay attention to that stuff, you know? So if there was a day where I posted something and it didn't get as many likes, it just really like bring me down and make me get out of my head and feel really anxious. And so I started to like notice that and started to try to take, you know, just short like breaks, like, you know, not spending a day on it or not spending a week. And then after two weeks, I was like, oh, maybe I should do this for a month. And then around October, I was like, oh, maybe I should do this until the end of the year. And so, um, and also like I used to overshare a lot on social media or at the time I wouldn't call it oversharing or yeah, no, it was definitely oversharing. I used to share a lot online and it was, you know, the amount of information I was comfortable sharing and I really liked sharing and I really liked being vulnerable kind of, again, like that kind of like emotional hookup. I, I like doing that with people that I don't know. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. Like, it's so easy for me to share on this podcast, but yeah. sharing with a close friend who I've known for 10 years is a totally different thing. Right. Right. And I think, you know, there's some comfort in that. It's cool to like kind of find refuge in the internet and find refuge in a podcast or social media or a blog or whatever. But 
I just was realizing how it was not healthy for me at the time. And so I was like, okay, oh, oh. So also, I guess I brought up the sharing thing because I was also publishing a lot and sharing personal essays and poems. And so I started to feel really uncomfortable with how much of me was online. Like not only could people read these like, you know, essays that I spent, you know, lots of time writing about these kind of intimate things about myself. I also like people, if they wanted, they could like scroll back to like me in like my sophomore year of college sharing these kind of like very intimate posts about my depression at the time or whatever, you know? And I think like the more I published, the more that made me feel really uncomfortable and it made me feel like, and also people would reach out. I don't know if you experienced this podcast, but people would reach out to me and people I'd never like met before reach out to me and just like say, like ask me questions about my personal life. But again, like, yeah. I think three years ago, I would have been totally fine with, but it just started to feel really invasive. Like I just felt like I wanted these, I, I needed boundaries. And it was a really weird experience. Cause again, I'm like such, I will, I usually like until recently, I'm always sharing with people. If anything, I've had to work on like putting boundaries on not sharing so much. I've never really been a private person and I've always had to like make sure I'm honor- honoring others' privacy. It's never something I really thought about, but I think just because there's so much, ex- I felt like kind of really exposed, you know, it went from being like me sharing with a couple, like some of my friends and some of my internet buddies or whatever to like people who I like didn't know that knew of me, you know? So yeah, I was like, okay, I'm just going to take a break. I'm going to like scrape some stuff on my social media. Like I'm going to take down a bunch of posts. Like, and just, I just need to like reorient, reorient and like rethink the way I'm like engaging with people online. And so I decided I was going to like uh, deactivate my account. And, you know, like at the time <laughs> I thought that if you deactivated, it would just like hide you from like people would be able to see your profile but um, it didn't mean that it was like deleted forever. But I guess I must have deleted it forever because oh my god, yeah, I know it's kind of sad. January first came around, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna log back in. Like it's been four months or whatever, three months, and <laughs> like it was like Boogie and Blues, which was like my profile name, cannot be found. Like this profile doesn't oh, exist. No. I was like, oh, that is kind of sad. It was wow. so sad. It was so sad. I was, I was, I was with my boyfriend and we were like sitting in my bed and I was just like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And I was kind of feeling like, okay, I guess this is kind of what I wanted. Cause I'd been thinking about just like completely deleting it. But I think like the fact that it, it was a choice that was made for me made me feel kind of bad. But then I was like, well, actually maybe this is a sign. Maybe this is like for the best. Maybe this is what I really need to like, if I go back on social media or on Instagram specifically, maybe now I'll be forced to like think about it in a different way because I literally will be starting from scratch. Um, and it is kind of freeing to be like, literally, yeah, there's nothing. Like I don't have an Instagram anymore. Um, and then I decided to delete my Facebook too eventually because I, I was kind of experiencing a similar thing with Facebook, but like instead of comparing myself and instead of like get, like my ego inflating I realized I was getting on Facebook to like, every time I felt bad about myself, I would just get on my Facebook and compare myself to like certain people that I used to be friends with or whatever, you know? And so I realized it's like, okay, that's not healthy either. So I deleted my Facebook and then I like deleted my Twitter and like, 
are you worried about how this will affect your work? Do you think you'll get back on in the future? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's definitely something I had to think about a lot. And it's something I was thinking about even before I deleted it or like it was deleted for me. <laughs> but yeah, just like trying to think about how much I wanted to rely on social media for my writing. And I think I've come to this like very, very woo-woo conclusion that I this is not me saying that everyone should follow this because I don't even know if it's like smart, you know, business-wise or whatever. But, you know, I'm not a businesswoman. I'm a writer, so it's cool. But I just think people who are supposed to find my work will find it. <laughs> like, I don't know. I yeah. think as I, as I say that, I cringe because like, I know how it sounds. But that's just what I've decided to believe. I think whether I get back on social media, like, I decided I'm going to stay off for at least a year. And I will say, like, I still occasionally will creep on a friend or, like, creep on, you know, if there's a writer that's doing something interesting, I'll, like, creep on them or whatever. Like, it's not like I have not seen the Instagram page since October or whatever. Right. But it's a different thing to not to be consuming occasionally is very different than creating and producing and consuming frequently. Yeah, exactly. It's so and different. habitually. Yeah, it definitely feels like an outside looking in sort of thing, especially because like Instagram really makes it, they've made it even harder to be on Instagram if you don't have an account, which I'm really mm-hmm. grateful for right now because I think it's, it helps me with boundaries. But yeah, I think, yeah, I think I've just decided that like, I'm, if like, you know, I'm not going to get into this because it's just so much and there's like so many articles and so many other smarter people can talk about this more than I can. But there's so much like ethical stuff with social media too. Like just the way that those tech companies like use our data and like manipulate us that I increasingly feel uncomfortable with, which again, like social dilemma, like there's so many things that people could like watch and read about that topic. But I guess I've just decided that like, I don't want to currently, and I could change my mind later, but currently I just feel like I don't really want to compromise like my mental health for the sake of my writing. Some of the writers who I love the most have been able to sustain a writing career and like have cool writing projects and do interesting and fulfilling things for themselves without the a reliance on social media. Granted, a lot of those people are like older than me and like have a different audience than me and had different paths than me, but I still think it's like relevant to like see those people as inspiration. Some of my favorite writers, whether they have social media or not, like I found them, you know, through word of mouth or like through reading a book that references another book or another poem or whatever. And so that's kind of like what I've decided, but I realized how like risky it is and how like our world is not, (laughs) like I'm really running in the opposite direction of what I like every business or like creative advice says. Um, but I, I think if I was a paint, if I was like a graphic designer or a video artist or something, it would be a little different. I think there's certain crafts that there's like a heavy reliance on social media, even with my words, like when I was promoting them on social media, people still had to click, click out to a link, you know, obviously if someone's like making an illustration, they can like share the whole thing on Instagram and that can be really helpful for them. But that's just kind of where I'm at right now, but. Well, I think it's, yeah. And I, and I think that's really 
great to allow yourself to be like, this is, I'm trying this and it's good for my mental health right now. And it's affecting my mental health positively and I, and allowing it to change. And I think that's, that sounds like you really thought through the decision and that makes so much sense. And it, and it also, you know, one thing that you didn't address with it, which is that I think it can serve the work. It can serve the writing mm. because it's, you're less distracted. So you have more yeah. to give to it where I feel like, and you know, one of my, my biggest struggles is like, I'm, I want to be a writer, but I mm. feel like I'm, I'm not one because mm. not because I have gotten a lot of rejection and haven't published anything in years, but because I'm not really doing it every day. But what I am doing mm. is putting out a podcast and feeding the algorithm on, on multiple social medias and sending out an email mm. newsletter and doing, you know, and trying to, you know, run a, a business to be able to sustain my, like, I don't have a full-time job either. So I'm, yeah. I'm making courses and, and doing things to, to be able to like support myself, you know? So it's yeah. like, or I could, you know, it's a big distraction. So it's just, you know, measuring what, where your values are, where you want to spend your time and then constantly refining and, you know, what, what does this serve? What does this, you know, why am I doing this? And it sounds like you, you're really clear on that and, and, and then allowing that to change. So that sounds really healthy. Thanks. I appreciate yeah. that. And again, I just want to like emphasize, this is not me giving advice about social media. I, I am also not like pointing at fingers at people who decide that they yeah. want to stay on or they want to use it for their own art practices. That's just like my own personal kind of decision. Yeah. It doesn't come off that way. Anything. Okay. That's good. I'm glad. Yeah. Well, another thing you wrote down to talk about is the existential feeling of decision making, <laughs> growing up, et cetera. And I feel like you 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 know, one big decision was probably this one of of going off social media. But what did you mean when you when you wrote that? And I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah, I guess like, and I think a lot of it has to do with my age, but I also wonder if I'm also starting to wonder if this is just like a lifelong thing, like no matter how old you are, you're always kind of grappling with how difficult it is to make decisions and not difficult. And like, it's intellectually difficult, but just like, there are so many options in this life and there are so many ways to be. And I'm learning that like, sometimes it's hard to like attain the option for you. Right. It's sometimes like with being a writer, sometimes the thing that's hard is getting the opportunities that you need to move forward or whatever, or like with dating, like finding someone to date who is compatible with you or whatever. But I've been learning lately that like another difficulty in life that I didn't really realize is like just how much, and maybe also this is a certain privilege for me. Right. But like, there's just so many different options in life and it can be, sometimes it can be very, overwhelming to decide like what sort of life to live and like the kind of like intricate decisions that come with that that's something I've really been thinking about like I guess to be more specific like deciding where to live and like if I should stay in New York if I should move away if I should go to grad school if I should not go to grad school if I should try to get enough like if I should try to I still don't have a writing job I'm doing freelancing part-time and then I work a part-time job at a furniture company but like if I should yeah. keep doing what I'm doing or like try to get a cushy marketing job that maybe wouldn't be as creative, but like would give me more money. You know, I just like 
I find that those sorts of matters can be so hard because they're so, they can be like so linked to like what comes next, which is, yeah. maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's what's hard is like the uncertainty of the future. And that's I've definitely been thinking about a lot. And it's like hard to decide what I want or like what, how to decide what I want or like, and I'm definitely someone who like, sometimes I just have to like try something out to know, but you can't always do that. You know, like you can't always try out a thing. Sometimes you just have to not, you just have to like think about it and decide not mm-hmm. to do it, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's something I've definitely been like grappling with a lot lately. Is that something you like think about? Yeah. It's so funny to, to hear you talk about, it. I think this is something where our age gap because I, I think we we get along well and clearly think about the world in, in very similar ways, even though we yeah. have different experiences. But I think this is definitely something where I hear you talking and, you know, I'm about to be 31. And mm. I was in the car with someone this summer and I remember he was was basically talking about something very similar to you, but he's closer to my age, a little bit older mm. than me. And he said just what you're saying right now becomes a little bit different when you're 31, you know, when you're 31, it becomes less like there are so many options. There still are. And you've just, you have a bigger sample size. (laughs) You know what I mean? You have like a, a six year, like more that you've done. And, and he was just like, I have so much I want to do and I'm not where I want to be. And I, and he has this very clear, vision of what he wants and like mm. how his ducks to be in a line for you know the next thing and he was like asking me like how about you like what what does ducks in a line look like for you and i was just honestly like i think i just spoke out of my ass a little bit like mm. well i you know i have this podcast and normally you know and i just kind of like yeah. said something and then i stopped myself and i was just like honestly every choice I've made has been what's been available to me. You know, like I've had to be the reason I worked the marketing cushy full-time, not, it wasn't cushy. I made less than $30,000 a year living in New York, but like I took that to me, that was, it's still the most money I've ever made, you know? And like, and I'm 31 and like, I, I took that job because of the benefits and the 401k and, the insurance and and not having not being able to live at home, you know, and, yeah. and being able to move out. And I took that job and then I spent six years there wanting to leave it so I could do freelance, which is this podcast and write another book and publish essays. And and I'm doing my best with that. But like I started a course helping other people start podcasts because that was what was in front of me. You know, I was just making t- taking the next right action of what following the dream that was following me, you know, like yeah. and I and I think that it's not that the options become less when you get older, because I don't want to believe that. And that seems really negative. And I have so many things that I never would have expected, but there was, as I was talking and as we like, you know, it was really late at night and we're, we're driving down this mountain. And I, you know, like I said, at first I just like said it, an answer that came out of my mouth. And then I was like, none of that's true. I mm-hmm. honestly, I'm just trying to survive. Like I am mm-hmm. just trying to like have enough money to live in a place I want to live. And I hope I can keep writing, but I don't know if it's my time. And I hope I can keep doing the podcast. But, you know, at at that time, especially it was like really in the pandemic and uh, most of the sponsors, the podcast had pulled or, you know, Mm -hmm. said they weren't performing well. And I was like, I don't know if I can keep 
doing that even, even though I love mm-hmm. it and I've been doing it for nearly a decade. So I'm like, I don't know. And and I think we, he, he like put his hand on my leg and he was just like, I don't know. I think we're going to be okay. And, you know, and we like drove off and that was it. And it was just kind of like, I, I think that that moment of like, that was intimacy. You know what I mean? Like that yeah. was, that was like one of very few moments with that person where it was like, I, I didn't want to be intimate with him. I wanted to like say the, the line I would have said to, you know, yeah. someone on an airplane, but I, yeah. I, that he got me, you know, or I got myself where I was just like, I broke down and I was like, I, I don't know. So I think for me with the existential feeling of, of decision-making, it's, it's try things, do what's in front of me. But sometimes I, and and part of this might be my low self-esteem. And I think he came from a place of like, there are so many options. I want to do so much. And I really want to work towards this thing where I'm like, I would love to work towards this thing, but I don't even know if I can do it anymore. So Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to work towards maybe a different thing that I'm not even aware of yet. And Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to keep going. And so... I don't know if that even answers yeah, your no, question. And I, and I know that's kind of bleak, but no, it's, you know, I mean, it's, but it's like, true. <laughs> it's like important to like consider that side of it too, you know, like considering like where you are and being honest with yourself and like recognizing your, your limits or like what works now and what might work later and like still being open. Like, I feel like that's a really good way to approach the existential sort of madness or like the overwhelming feeling that could come with that. Yeah. And I think there's this episode of my podcast that I did with this person named Adam Strauss and he's a comedian and and he has OCD with decision making. And I, I think I have it too, because I vacillate between little things like what I'm wearing on a day to like go get my coffee or like which coffee shop should I go to? And like what, you know, there's just so many little decisions that we have to make. And then there's also, you know, when you're a freelancer, how you spend your day and then what you can, how you can make money or where you can focus. And there there's, and then just living in the, the technology age that we do there, our options are, are more open for us to optimize. And so like, that's just a lot of pressure. And I think there's a lot more room for error. And and I think, you know, for me too, like what what I was saying with this of like the older I'm getting, I'm like, I, I kind of felt like it was cute in my 20s for me to be like fumbling and Francis Ha like and and like trying a lot of things mm. and failing and and throwing a lot out there. But now I'm like a lot of my peers have children, a lot of my peers own homes. And I feel like mm. I'm still figuring out how to make money. And I'm and and like I, mm. you know, this is now become, you know, my interview, but which is you can read about this. But what I said in the interview when you interviewed me is like this whole operation very well might be done like very soon. And I might get a full-time job. And like I'd figure that out, you know? And I again I hope not. And I hope I can sustain it. But it's definitely at a precipice. And I think some decisions come with like the urgency like that. I also have a lot of privilege that I'm able to like keep trying this for a bit longer where like it might get to a point where like if I were to have to support someone else or if I were to like right now, my expenses aren't that high that I can keep trying things. And so that makes the decisions more. But like if I was at a place where I like had a child to support or I had like family that I had to support or if I, you know, 
God forbid, like got in an accident or something, like it would be different. And so it's like the decisions, part of it is like acknowledging there's so much privilege and like having decisions to make. And then there's also like, it comes and I feel like that was kind of bleak, but, but it is true. (laughs) I don't think it was bleak, but yeah, no, that's, that's so true. Like, I feel like <laughs> I something I'm enjoying about this conversation is like I feel like we'll kind of bounce off of each other and then I'm like wait actually no you just like said it all <laughs> I know I love that well I think yeah. a big decision that you mentioned and another thing that you wrote down here is the meaning of home and yeah I'm curious where you are with that and you kind of mentioned it of well I stay in New York forever and yeah I I'm curious where you where you are with that and I'd love to tell you my thoughts on this too. Like having having lived in New York and left and not that not being part of my plan, I think yeah. where I am with home is like, again, following like what I was saying about decisions in general. Like I didn't really have a plan to move to New York. It was just a something I wanted to do and I could at that time. And mm-hmm. I didn't have a plan to leave. It just wasn't feeling right. And I ended up here and I and it feels correct right now. And I think I've just, my sense of home has been, I kind of know where I don't want it to be. And then I just try a bunch of places and yeah. that, that work. Where, where are you with it? I'm actually writing about this right now or like trying to write about this right now. So it's like nice to talk about it because it's something I'm trying to figure out artistically as well, as well as like just in general. <laughs> But yeah, I've always kind of struggled with the idea of home because I moved around a lot as a kid. I did live in like, you know, the same area, generally speaking, like in the Dallas Metroplex. But a lot of my friends in the suburbs like grew up in one house their whole lives. Like they still can like go back to that house to this day, like that sort of thing, which I think is a, you know, is a sort of like limited idea of home. Like home is not just a built it's not just like the physical space that you occupy it's like more than that but yeah I think as a child I always sort of longed for that I always longed for like a hometown and like that one house that I could reference um sort of like Disney Channel idea and um and then like as I've gotten older I think at the back of my mind I've always like desired to find that um I've always felt like okay like I should move to a place now that I can call home but again, I'm like starting, I think in college, like I, maybe it was just like growing up in Texas. I have a friend who also grew up in Texas and now lives in DC. She once told me that like whenever she's in DC, she feels super young. But then whenever she's in Texas, she feels super old. She's 25. And I think I can totally relate to that. I think like in Texas, because all of my friends are like getting married at like 22 and like now are having kids, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, 24, 25. I think the timeline felt really different. And now that I'm in New York, it's like so much slower. It feels like more free. I'm starting to accept like there is no rush to find like the place that I like settle down or like that one place that I have a really like tight community. And maybe I will never have that place. Maybe I'll be like in a position the rest of my life where I'm like moving a lot. It's not, I mean, I kind of desire to like, I think for a while I was like, I want to find home now. Like, I want to stop. I'm tired of moving. Like, it's so emotionally exhausting and still is. Moving to a new place, making new friends, like finding new community. 
but I think I'm like kind of starting to accept like there was fully like no rush to like find that like um like I can find home eventually and maybe home is not a place maybe it is just the people that are in my life and and maybe it is like the experiences that I gather and maybe it's like the projects that I'm able to work on and like the sort of grounding that I hope to find in myself and I'm trying to find in myself right now like I'm starting to realize that maybe that's what home is I guess I say that to say that like I'm starting to realize that home isn't, you know, a physical space. It's not like a geographical location necessarily, but I still do long for that. I still do want to just like have some roots somewhere because I don't necessarily feel like I do. And maybe that also is connected to like being an immigrant's child. And, you know, my mom has lived here for a long time, but like her home is not here. My extended family doesn't live in America, they live in Nigeria and England and Scotland and like, you know, all over. So maybe that is related to it too, but that is something I definitely do desire. Um, but I'm just, I'm like starting to accept that like, I don't think I'm going to find that right now. And I don't think I need to, like, I don't think I want to, I, I, I want to keep approaching the world in a sort of like openness to travel and openness to move freely until it makes sense to like, you know, not do that but that is something that I definitely like eventually want there's actually this song by Mr. Twin Sister I think called I Want a House and it's like one of my favorite songs it's really like cute and like airy and it feels mm-hmm. like it's like a song feels like a spring or summer day I love listening to it. I used to love listening to it like driving around when I lived in Texas and I'd drive around when the weather was really nice and I'd like roll down my windows and like sing it to myself And I still, I think that's like what I like long-term hope for, like some sort of like physical space that I can call my own and that like is surrounded with people that I love and is like in a community that feels really like special and familiar to me. But I don't think that's going to happen for a hot second. And I'm okay with that right now. I love that. And I want to listen to the song. And my friend Val calls this the farm dream. Like she has this mm. dream of like having a house and Val's done this podcast and, you know, all like a commune sort of like having a lot of friends around and being yeah. in our spaces and we come together and neighbors and community. And, you know, the closest I've ever had to that was here in the summer. And mm. it just, it's a dream of, of mine as well. And, and I think what you give up not having a house essentially you're not having that is you know a trade-off for the city you know being yeah. in a city and it, yeah. in a pandemic I, I think it's you're not getting the full experience but there's there's an aliveness there that you pay for yeah as you yeah. know and it's True. hard but what you lack in in space and openness and community and you you gain and and culture and energy and you know the circuit that you can plug into of New York City and and other bigger cities and yeah okay well I could keep talking to you forever and I I have to go to a party okay <laughs> but I want you to go to your party let's do these quick fire questions okay um and and we'll we'll um we'll just have to do this again okay cool um okay best thing you've eaten in the last week. <gasps> Ooh, uh, today I made a like bowl thing. It was avocados and like chicken, 
some potatoes, some bell peppers, kale. I have this like really good like sauteed kale recipe. That was really good. That sounds so good. What is your go-to? You you wrote this down to to talk about writing, poetry, rituals, creative growth. What what do you want to say about all of those things in a rapid fire context? Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. Know that's such a broad. Yeah, I guess I want to say that I suck at rituals. I don't really have any like dedicated ones. I wish I was consistent. I'm just not. I'm a Gemini. I forget what that means in this context, but basically I'm just like, thanks. I think I'm just very like, go by the flow. Like some days I feel like it's sometimes, some days I don't, but I really desire to have like a good writing ritual and I'm always trying to work on it. That's my answer. What advice would you give to aspiring writers? Oh man. Ooh. Okay. This is something I tell myself a lot. The best things in life are slow and steady. Mm, I love that. I needed to hear that. What do you do when you feel overwhelmed or disorganized or like you don't have enough time? I take deep breaths. I go on a walk if I remember to. Sometimes I'll just stay in bed and like sulk. I'll call my boyfriend or a friend. I'll paint. I've been watercoloring lately. Love that. Greatest lesson on romantic relationships. Oh, man. I think I'm learning that the best way to love is to simultaneously let go. So good. <laughs> Greatest lesson on friendship. I think that's another good one for friendship, too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, consistency. I think greatest lesson on friendship is consistency. And also, like, I don't know. I've been thinking about a friend recently who I am not friends with anymore, who I think I was like a really bad friend to when we were friends. And I've been thinking about how I wish I would have been more compassionate and more selfless. And so, yeah, the greatest lesson I've learned is to be compassionate and selfless, even when it doesn't feel right, or even when it doesn't feel good and not to give up on people so quickly. It's a good one. An intense one. This is really just a way to recommend things. So book, music, podcast, writer. I'm curious which of those writers you were, you know, you like enough to go on to Instagram without an Instagram to check yeah. up on and TV show, movie, things that you want to recommend. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So um, if you're a friend of mine, then you'll laugh at me because I am really, really, uh, I really, really admire this writer named Ross Kay. He is a poet, but he also has a book of essays. He's great. I'm not going to say anything else because I could talk about him forever. I'll recommend him. You interviewed him, right? It's on your site. I did. I did. It's incredible. It's incredible. I I listened. His work is just incredible breath of fresh air so fun it's so like anti everything that we learn about writing like it's so like he really just pursues playfulness and like fun over like being like rigid and taking yourself too seriously which is I think a really great lesson to hold as any sort of person but especially as a writer um podcast um this podcast also Um, I really like this podcast called Say More and it's actually these two writers who like talk about different stuff and like kind of interview each other. They they also interviewed other people, um, but they mostly just like 
interview each other like talk to each other and it's really funny and like intellectual and but it's not intellectual in a stuffy way it's intellectual and like and it's just it's just nice it's nice so that book I'm currently working on like a haiku project so it's like kind of sad I forgot what this book is called because the cover just says haiku but it has a longer title but I'm reading this like kind of like short history about these like Japanese haiku poets oh I love Um, that that feels really kismet because my friend whose birthday I'm going to is a haiku writer and she used to do this thing called it was called haiku guys and she would go to parties and like write haikus that was like a full-time job (laughs) yeah wow she's done the podcast her name's Leah Clancy yeah oh nice that's Mm -hmm. great well happy birthday yeah happy birthday to Leah um, (laughs) yeah so yeah that's the book I'd recommend but I forgot the title so I'll send it to you great yeah, that's, I don't know if you wanted me to recommend anything else. Um, movie, TV show, anything else? Movie, you know. Music, you already gave a song. Yeah, movie, I. You can think about it and, and email me too if you want. Okay, TV show, I've been watching The Crown recently, but I wouldn't recommend it. I, <laughs> I like, I like it and I think it's a great, I think it's like a beautifully shot and like directed show. I think the acting is great, but the story of the Royal family is, it's fascinating. It's so interesting, but it's also like, it's just like wealthy gossip. You know what I mean? Like every time I watch it, I'm kind of like, why are these people so important? Why do we give this family mm-hmm. so much money, even though they've done horrendous things to the whole world? So I watched that and then as I watch it, I kind of get really angry because they're just so wealthy and so like they've done so many, like that whole family has, especially as like a black person, you know, that that family has truly done some shit. So that's kind of dark and heavy. But I watch I would okay, I would say watch that show, but with a critical eye. I think that's the key. And movies, I watched a movie recently that was really good, but I forgot what it was called. So oh send it to you okay (laughs) sounds good well again i could keep talking to you for a really long time and i hope i get to talk to you again really soon yeah we just we've been back and forth interviewing each other and then we'll just have to have like a a conversation one of these days yeah yeah. Um, see what that's like (laughs) but thank you so much for doing this you are you are so wonderful i'm i'm so grateful that that we connected and as you know the name of the show is let it out so did i encourage you to let out everything that you wanted to is there anything that you never get to talk about that you wish you could let out oh no I think for now I I think I let it all out yeah (laughs) yeah all right well if you think of anything else let me know and hopefully you can come back this can be a regular occurrence us interviewing each other back and forth because I really enjoy talking to you and (laughs) Yeah. Your work is so meaningful to me and I'm I'm so happy to know you. Thanks. I'm happy to know you too. I'm glad our our worlds have connected and me collided. Me too. Me too. Yeah. Um so let's we end with a deep breath. So inhale. Okay. Let it out. <sighs> Thank you so much for being here. That was great. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, that was my conversation with Lorraine Yesef. Again, please 
follow everything that she does. She's one of my favorite people to talk to and so incredibly talented. Her essays that I mention and I read from will be linked in the show notes, her modern love piece and her pieces in, in Man Repeller. But follow her newsletter. She has this monthly newsletter called All the Reasons I've Cried Lately. And she asks artists questions about their art. I was one of them, which is really cool. And the link to that is on her website as well. And she writes beautiful poems and essays and is just such a ray of light. And I'm so grateful that I got to cross paths with this person and I get to share her with you now. If you like this episode, share it with a friend. If you're new here, I encourage you to check out our archive. I would love for you to hear other conversations with artists and writers. And next week on the podcast, my best friend, my second mom, we call her my non-birth mom. Every year, Sasha Jones of Stigley Holistics NYC, ceramicist, holistic health educator, wedding officiant, the most creative person who I've ever met, Sasha Jones will be back on the podcast. She's been on several times and every year for my birthday, she comes on the show to interview me and ask me questions and kind of just do a state of the podcast address. So we're recording that on Friday. If you have a question for me, comment it on my Instagram on the most recent post. I will answer all the questions that were submitted in that episode if you're curious about anything. And it's just kind of a state of the podcast conversation. So that will be next week. Again, support the podcast by sharing it, leaving a review on iTunes signing up for the email newsletter and supporting the sponsors. It really does help so much. I'm so grateful you're here. I'll talk to you next week and I love you. Oh, and the emoji is the person with the googly eye hearts, like the cartoon hearts in your eyes. Cause I'm pretty sure that's what, you know, today's guest and I, we have a lot in common, but I think that romantic leaning is one of the big themes from this week's episode. All right. Love you.